0: Well, first of all, I just want to brag on uh, Miranda and the Children's Ministry team a little bit. They've done an incredible job of uh, getting things ready for a virtual VBS. This is brand new territory we're walking into, and uh, and what they have put together uh, is just not short of amazing uh, for the kids for going into VBS th- in this next week, um, and everything outside and the... Uh, the free snacks, and taking care of the kids on the playground, and she's just doing a fantastic job, as is her team. Yeah, you clap for her. That's all right. That is a good thing, man. Super proud of her. Uh, and the rest of the team just making stuff ready for people who want to sit outside and, and enjoy church on the little patio area under shade. That is fun. I said, that you know you can sit out there if you want to be obedient, and sit in here if you want to be normal, and it's all good however you want to handle that, as far as we're concerned. Um, I was thinking about this message of grace uh, and how to introduce uh, the, th- the thing we're going to talk about today, and my mind went to a, a passage of Scripture, uh, and I thought about it a little differently this week. And, and I want to share with you this, this Bible verse from the book of James, uh, chapter 1, and it says this, that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. That, that's not a good sentence right? Now, obviously, it says that person. So, it's talking about a specific person or something that has happened. But anyway, there's something that has happened that would make that person not expect to receive anything from the Lord. And then it says, such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So, in essence, what it's saying, and it's talking in the terms of 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 prayer and asking God for wisdom. But the overall principle behind this is the double-minded person. The person who doesn't receive anything from the Lord is the double-minded person. The person who doesn't receive anything from God is the double-minded person. Such a person is double-minded, unstable in all they do. That's caused them to do something that Sacrifices receiving anything from God. Here's here's, my fear is that some of us have positioned ourselves outside of receiving favor from God without even realizing it. Without even realizing it. One of the things that puts us outside of the opportunity to receive anything from God is the idea of being double-minded. Now, what's it mean to be double-minded? It literally means to waver back and forth, to be uncertain, and to be divided. When you in your mind, in in relationship to God, waver back and forth between this and that, are uncertain. Well, sometimes I believe, sometimes, and then sometimes I think, and then other times, are divided. It negates us from receiving anything from the Lord. So here's, here's what this has, how, how, how I relate this to grace. Now, we talked about in this series, the difference between law and grace between what I do and what God has done, and relying on God and his favor apart from what I do. So when we vacillate between law and grace, when we vacillate back forth between performance and favor, we forfeit the opportunity to receive anything from God. As we've been talking about grace, one of the things that I've tried to, 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 to drive home is to rely on God's grace apart from our behavior for his favor. Like we can't earn, we can't be good enough to earn God's favor. Grace says we can't be good enough to earn God's favor. And we become double-minded when sometimes we're like, no, I get that. That's awesome. I'm just going to rely on God's grace. And then other times think, no, no, no. I'm going to do everything right so that God will act on my behalf. That's double-minded, going back and forth between law and grace. And when we live that way and start to think that way, it removes us from the possibility of receiving anything from God because we're double-minded. Do you understand? Most of us, most people in church have grown up in a religious system that has convinced them, be good, don't do bad stuff, and the better you are, the more God will bless you. Right? Right? Right. That's most of the religious system we've grown up in. And so then when we start hearing about grace, that, okay, wait, you mean grace is so profound and scandalous that God would bless me regardless of my behavior? That doesn't make sense. I like the idea. And when we start to gravitate to that and it feels good, we're like, okay, well, that, that just makes God look incredible. Well, exactly. That's the point of grace. And we like that and we grab onto that. But then pretty soon, we vacillate back over to, yeah, but I, may, I need to make sure I'm doing everything right. Because if I start messing up, then God won't bless me. You understand? You understand? And this vacillation back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, actually, according to the Bible, negates us from receiving anything from God. And so my fear is that a lot of people in church wanting to experience God's favor from the get-go remove themselves from the experience of it. Because you're double-minded. vacillating back and forth. I have to be good so God will be happy with me, so he'll bless me. And the fascination with this thing called grace. James 1 says, when you ask, you believe without wavering. You ask and you believe with certainty. When you pray... He was talking in the context of wisdom, but overall, generally, when you pray, you ask God to grant it, not because you deserve it, but simply because of His grace. Christ alone, faith alone, grace alone. Do you understand? The moment we approach God and ask Him to grant our prayers because we deserve it, because we've been good, we negate the opportunity. To receive anything from him. Don't have a divided mind regarding why God should answer your prayers and bless you. It has nothing to do with you being good enough to deserve it. Do you understand? Yes. This, is, this is what is so beautiful about grace, and this is what is so confusing about grace, and this is what is so difficult about grace. It's so simple, yet it's so confusing at times. And I want to look at a man this morning of someone who would seem to be completely outside the scope of God's favor. Completely outside the arena of being blessed by God because of who he was. If you have a Bible and brought one with you, go to 2 Kings chapter 5. Now, all the scripture, all the everything we're going to look at is, is on your, your little smartphone app. And so if you got that, take that out. And, and if you haven't downloaded that, you need to download that and follow along in the notes there. But 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1, it's the story of Naaman. Now, just exam- how many know the story of Naaman? A couple, couple of you? Okay. A right, couple of you. Well, I'm going to introduce you to him. Someone said the word leprosy. But yeah, that we're going to get there. So watch this. This is the story of Naaman. Now, Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master, the king, and highly regarded. Why? Because through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but what? He had leprosy. Now, unless you know the backstory of this, this doesn't make much. This is a profound verse. There is so much in this verse, but unless you know the backstory, you miss it. And so let me tell you the backstory. The backstory is you go you go back before this part in 2 Kings 5 to 1 Kings chapter 19, 1 Kings chapter 20, 1 Kings chapter 22, and you find that the Arameans. See, this is the king he, he was he was he was the military general for the king of aram and so the people that he led were the arameans the arameans were actually enemies of god's people this is not god's people these were enemies of god's people he's the military general of the enemies of god's people the king of aram that this guy served was outside of the covenant relationship with God's people. And God had promised these people nothing because they weren't part of his people. Do you understand what I'm saying? So this, if you want to talk about us versus them, this is the enemy. This verse is profound. Naaman, the military general of the king of the enemy of God's people, was a good man, And who had given him victory? Did did you see that? God gave the enemy of God's people victory. And he was a valiant soldier. Naaman was a good guy. He was upright and, and, and he was upstanding. And he was a great military leader. And God had given, through this man, victory to the Arameans... I'm telling you, there's all kinds of implications right here in this verse about God's grace and his favor and his blessing. Do you understand that? Had this guy obeyed apparently any of God's commands? This isn't hard to understand at this point. Okay? So it's easy to answer that question. He's an enemy of God's people... Had he obeyed apparently any of the commands of God? No. No. He didn't even know the commands of God. God hadn't given it to these people. And yet, apparently, God's favor was on him. Right up front, this should tell you there's something about grace we don't understand. Because we think the more I'm in line with God and what he does and don't do the things that are contrary to him, the more he's going to bless me because I'm good right? There must be something else going on here. First note this about Naaman. What does he say? The very end says, but he what? But he had leprosy. Now the word for leprosy in the Bible could be a myriad of different kinds of skin conditions. It wasn't necessarily fatal, though it was, not all the time. But that was part of what was behind leprosy. Multiple skin diseases, some very mild, some severe. But back in these days, they really couldn't tell which was which and what it was going to develop into. And leprosy at its worst, would it could eventually lead to loss of nerve function, loss of feeling, which would lead to injury, which would lead to disease, which would lead to body parts falling off and death. And so it was, it, was, it was highly contagious, and there was no known cure. And Israel was the first nation through the direction of God to quarantine those with leprosy. All the other nations of the world with skin diseases, they just, they hadn't figured that out yet. And God told Israel those with this disease quarantine them away from those who are healthy. So not only was it, it could be a death sentence, but there was also this ostracization from the community and the family. It It was a brutal, brutal disease. Leprosy in the Bible is oftentimes symbolic also of sin. Why? Because sin is deadly. There's no known human cure and sin is contagious. And so there's a lot of things going on in Naaman's life right here. Do you understand that? There's a lot of stuff going on. Now, it's interesting to me that God first gave the instructions of how to deal with contagious diseases, viruses, and sicknesses where there is no cure. God said, I'm going to tell you people how to deal with this, how humanity, give humanity a plan on how to deal with these contagious diseases, viruses, and where there's no cure, and God's, God's instruction was quarantine the sick. Get them away from the healthy. I, I was talking to Jeff yesterday, and I said, boy, Jeff, I, I could really get political in this message if I wanted to. <laughs> Nowhere did God say shut down the schools and the businesses and the societies. He said, Take those who are sick and sequester them away from those who are healthy. Take those who are vulnerable and sequester those away from our healthy. Never has it been medically sound nor effective to quarantine the healthy. It just hasn't. You go all the way back to the Bible. It's interesting to me how stuff starts to get sorted out and healed when we start paying attention to the Bible. Maybe, just maybe, God knows what he's doing, and perhaps Sacramento could do better if it would pay attention to what's in the Bible in a lot of different areas. It's interesting to me, that, and I realize our little neck of the woods is very different than the rest of California, and I, I understand that. But when we are forced to live by what's going on in the rest of California, it doesn't make sense to me. Did you know that 68% of all COVID cases in California are in Southern California? Did you know that 78% of all COVID deaths in the state are in Southern California? This is amazing to me. I don't know how they come up with these... these, um, These findings, but at this point, from what I understand, there's no documented cases of COVID spread from children to adults. And Fresno County has said there's no documented cases of COVID spread because of church services. Did you know that? Now here's the thing, if they're going to say there's no documented cases of COVID spread because of protest, they better say there's no documented cases of COVID spread because of worship. It's so minuscule a number of any child that has died from COVID, the young have a higher chance of drowning death than COVID death. Don't don't tell Newsom that because he might shut down swimming pools. I'm just saying, I remember when this whole thing happened, we were told to follow a certain protocol to flatten the curve. Well, it's flattened. Now, I understand there's or spikes in different places. I get that. That's to be expected as people get out and about again. But understand this, it's a virus, and it's eventually going to get pretty much everybody. It's going to spread. And and so what we do is protect the vulnerable. Absolutely, we protect the vulnerable. But we also live life and don't shut everything down. And and it's so interesting to me that when this virus was taken over and the people in the biblical time, it, it was very clear, sequester, quarantine those who are sick. And the rest of you go about your life and rely on God, and if it gets you, get you. I need to get back to the Bible part. <laughs> <laughs> Look at verse 2 and 3. Now, bands of raiders. The raiders. Yeah. The raiders. <laughs> We were taking our son back to college uh, this last week, and we drove through Vegas up to Colorado. And I was asleep during that time. And uh, he pulls out his phone the next day. And says, "Hey, Dad, do you want to see the biggest toilet bowl in the country?" I'm like, "Well, yeah, that's great." <laughs> you know what he showed me, right? Yeah. The Raider Stadium in Vegas. <laughs> he goes, oh, I'm glad you're moving out. <laughs> anyway. Bands of raiders from Aram, this is the Arameans, who Naaman is a part of, so these are the bad guys, had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, in other words, like Naaman's wife, if only my master would see the prophet who's in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Now now notice this. This This passage is so full of implication, especially for what's going on in our day in multiple levels. Naaman was a top military general of the Aramean army, the enemy of God. The Arameans were at war with Israel multiple times, and Naaman, as the military leader of the Arameans, had brutalized them, had killed them, had taken them captive, and who owned slaves by them. This little girl was a what Slave. taken away from her homeland and forced into service in his home. But just think about it for a minute. If God's going to help somebody, surely it's not this guy. Right? Just put it in context of today. If, if if we're gonna say God is going to show a favor to someone, it's not gonna be this guy. He's an enemy of God, he's at war with God's people, and he's a slaveholder. If anybody would be outside the scope of God's blessing, it's surely it's Naaman. Right? right. But we just read. That it was Naaman that God gave success to. Is this screw with any of your theology? It should. Watch this. Who was the first person to help Naaman? Does it say it out loud with your mouths open like, you, like it's safe to say? This old slave girl. This young girl who was taken as a slave from Israel. This little slave girl must have known what later we would read of in Romans 8:28, "All things work together for good." This little girl was not bitter. This little girl was looking for the opportunity to help even her captor. Wow. How crazy is grace? What would make this little girl show grace to her captor? Let me ask this. Can you trust God this much to seek to bless those who harm you? Hmm? That's grace. This story is crazy. Naaman needs to be healed. And so he tells the king of Aram what this little slave girl says. And the king of Aram, he's like, Naaman, you're my right hand guy. Like, for whatever reason, you got favor on your life, and I need you to get healthy. And so he sends Naaman, get this, he sends Naaman back to Israel with gifts of about $3 million of gold and silver and a bunch of nice suits. I mean, they liked to dress large back then, you know what I'm saying? And so he sends all this stuff. And he sends the military general back to the land that he had destroyed, with gifts for the king that he had beat, to the relatives of those he had taken captives as slaves and asked for help. What would your response to Naaman be at this point? hmm what would it be it seems like god has him exactly where he wants him to settle the score right wouldn't that be our opinion of it finally dude gets what he deserves so the prophet elisha hears that naaman has come asked the king for help and the king's response was who am i god Do I have the power of her life and death? I can't help you. And, And Elisha hears about this whole discourse and hears about Naaman's plight. And Elisha, the prophet of God, sends word to the king. And this is what Elisha says. Have the man, Naaman, come to me and he will know that there's a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you'll be cleansed. Naaman shows, he's a military general, right? Now he's got all the stuff. He's got all the strap. I mean, he is loaded up. He comes with the royal entourage, all the chariots and horses, all his like military stuff. And he shows up at Elisha's doorstep with all his array of power, all his array of prominence, in essence saying, if anybody deserves to be helped and healed, I do. That's what he's saying. And Elisha, hearing that Naaman's there, doesn't even go out to see him face to face. Sends a mess, he doesn't even get from his desk. Sends a messenger to go talk to him. Now, I I I don't expect this to go over very well when the military leader of a nation shows up in all his array and asks to talk to a little old prophet. And a prophet sends someone, one of his, you know, guys to go talk. I know how upset y'all get when you want to talk to me and I send someone else to talk to you. (laughs) I know how much y'all think that you have a direct line to my life anytime you want. (laughs) And I know how much you get upset when you want to talk to me on Sunday morning before I'm going to preach about your cat and your dog. I don't know. It just like, it just. And so, and so Elisha's like, look, this ain't about me. It's about you and God. So go handle your business. How to take care of it. How do you think Naaman responded to Elisha's diss of him? Same way you respond when you have to talk to me and I make you talk to Heather or Jeff. <laughs> But Naaman went away angry. He said, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me or something. I thought he'd do something like religious. I thought he'd do something churchy. I thought he would like get his big pointy Pope hat and his big pointy Pope ring and like sprinkle (laughs) some, some water or something. Are not the Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the rivers of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleans? And he turned off and went off in a rage. Naaman was upset that Elisha wouldn't see him personally because he thought he deserved it. He was upset that he had to go wash in the Jordan River. Jordan River's a muddy old nasty river. He said, I got, I got cleaner rivers back in, the, in my homeland. Why would I got to jump in the, in the old ditch bank? And he was proud. You want to know what happens in Pride. God gives grace generously. God opposes the proud and gives grace to do the what? See, it's only the humble that don't try to earn God's blessing. It's the arrogance to think you can. And while Naaman was arrogant and prideful, you want me to do what? <laughs> He remained diseased. Do you understand? As long as you remain prideful and arrogant that you think because of who you are and what you've done and how good you've been, God deserves to, you deserve to be blessed, you remain diseased and outside of God's grace. Do you understand? See, to try to earn God's favor disqualifies you from it. I don't know how many times I can say that in this series. We have to understand this. James 4.10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will what? He'll exalt you. He'll lift you up. But it comes first by humbling. It doesn't say be obedient before the Lord, and he'll exalt you. Obey everything he says, and he'll exalt you. No, he says humble yourselves first. First Peter says, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. See, it's when we humble ourselves and admit how unworthy we are that God gives his grace. And if we ever try to be good enough for God to bless, God actually opposes us. If you've ever felt in trying to follow Jesus that you're just running into walls over and over and over and can never get through a breakthrough. If you've ever felt like you're just running through quicksand and you just... And it makes you try harder to be better and try harder to be better so God will send good your way. You're fighting against God and he opposes you. Because there's a pride and arrogance to think we can be good enough for God to bless. See, the the goal for us is to come before God and say, God, I don't deserve this answer to prayer. I don't deserve you to do this in my life. I understand that. but I want your grace and I place my future at the mercy of your grace. See, most of us want to place our future before God based on our behavior. God, I've been good. I've done it right. So therefore do this for me. We want to place our future before God based on our behavior. And the moment we do that, he is actually working in opposition to our future. See, the goal is simply to come before God and say, God, I place my future at the mercy of your grace because I don't deserve anything good. Do you understand? It's coming to God and say, God, I will rely completely on your determination of favor for my life. That's a humbling thing to say. God, I want to honor you with my life, and I want to live in obedience to you as a reflection of my love for you, not so that you'll do something good for me, just a reflection of my love for you. And I will rely completely on your determination of favor for me. Whatever that means, God, I'm I'm okay with. Do you see how full of humility that stance is? And when that's our stance, God moves in favor on our behalf. Not because we deserve it. You understand? You tracking with me so far? This is Naaman. See, here's what we have to understand. Grace runs contrary to religion. Naaman wanted something religious. He wanted the religious man to do some religious activity. You know, rave his religious hand over this spot and say some religious words and make it all better. It's like when you want the pastor to pray for you because he's the religious guy. You want him to do something religious for you because he's the, he's the religious guy. And it works when he does it. And all of a sudden you've disqualified yourself from God's grace. Because you're relying on someone else's goodness for his favor over you. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes. So watch this. Look at look at he 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 he's he's gone away angry, and then his 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 his, his, his advisors come to him and they say, Naaman! If the prophet told you to do something great, you'd have done it. Like if he told you to do something hard, you'd have done it. How much more than when he says, go, just go wash and you'll be cleansed. So he went down, he, he, they kind of convinced him. He's like, you know, what? you're right. If he told me to go climb a mountain and stand on my head for seven days, I would have done that. So this is pretty easy. Might as well give it a shot. And so he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became like that of a young boy. He said, if he told you to do something great, you'd have done it. So why not just do this easy thing? See, religion is spelled D-O. It's what we do. Grace is spelled D-O-N-E. It's what God has already done. See, it's grace and it's humility that says, God, no matter how good I am, I'm not good enough to deserve salvation or to merit favor. Jesus, I just need you alone. My future, let it be a reflection of your grace. Have you ever thought about praying that prayer? God, I just want my future to be a reflection of your grace. Whatever that means. I can't be good enough for you to do something for me. Just let my future be a reflection of your grace. That's liberating. And so what happens? He goes down, he dips in the Jordan River seven times, the number of completion in the Bible, and, and, and his skin's clean, right? Like that of a young boy. He looks good. It's all tight. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there's no God in all the world except Israel. So please accept a gift from your what? Look at his change of heart. Before he rolls in with all this arrogance and pride. And now what's he called himself? A complete change of heart. See... Grace rightfully received and understood produces humility. When grace is rightfully received and rightfully understood, it produces humility. Because you realize you didn't do anything to deserve God's favor. You didn't earn it. So humble yourself. When you realize that the blessing that you have is not because of your merit, that realization is humi- it's humbling. And then it puts you in a position to receive more blessing from God because you're humble. When Naaman's heart was wavering and divided, he remained diseased. When he chose to rely on God's grace, he was healed. And so what's his response? He wants to give Elisha a gift for healing him. And and the story goes on where Elisha's like, look, I'm not going to accept nothing from you. I don't don't do this for the... Well, the money stuff, you know, don't, don't pay me. I didn't do it. God did. And so name and ask him. He says, he says, if you're not going to going to receive my gift, he said, please let me your servant be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry for your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other God, but the Lord, but may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Rimmon to bow down as he's leaning on my arm and I have to bow there also when I bow down in the temple of Rimmon may the lord forgive your servant for this so here's what he's saying he said let me take back as much dirt from israel as two mules can carry because they under, they believed back in those days that god in, inhabited the land of the nation where that god like he god lived in a nation and so he lived in that dirt so he wants to take dirt with them back to his homeland, so he could kind of take God with him. And he says, J- just, just make sure this is okay. I, I'm the king's right-hand man, and the king worships in the false temple of Rimon, this false god. He says, and I know God probably doesn't want me to, to do that anymore, but I have to go with him. It's part of my job. And he leans on my arm, and when he bows down on his knee, I have to bow down with him. And I know God probably doesn't want me bowing my knee to a false God, so is it okay if I do that? Do you understand? Mm-hmm. Basically, he wants to know the boundaries of law and grace. How far can I push this? We've done the exact same thing. How much will God let me get away with? Where's the line in the sand? Right? Right? how much can i do and still be right with god that's what he's asking can i drink one can i have two can i have three can i have seven can i hold hands can i hug can i kiss can i huh (laughs) if i'm lying i'm dying we've all asked these questions he says i want to know what's allowable What laws must I adhere to? What rules must I obey? What does God allow and disallow? Let me know the boundaries. Let me know the demarcations. See, young faith always asks, how much does God allow, right? I love Elisha's response. He says three words. The question's a pretty profound question. How much is God God okay with? The answer is profound. Go in peace. That's all he says. Go in peace. Go in peace? (laughs) Like, is it okay or not okay? Give me a yes or a no. This far and no farther. Like, give me something. Go in peace? Here's what I love about grace. Grace? And this is what most churches, most pastors, most Bible study leaders, most parents do not understand. Elisha is not going to load Naaman with rules and regulations. Because he knows he can't handle that yet. Elisha is not going to ask Naaman to live as a spiritual mature person because he's not spiritually mature yet. Let faith be young and let grace abound. Go in peace. In other words, he says, when God wants to direct you, God will direct you. Don't rely on me to tell you God's boundaries. The Holy Spirit, when he wants to convict you and change you, will convict you and change you. Go in peace. Do you understand? This is so contrary to how most every church and every Bible teacher and every pastor and every Sunday school leader has taught us. They want to give us a list of rules of do's and don'ts and do's and don'ts. And now that you decide to follow Jesus, you better get this cleaned up. And now that you decide to follow Jesus, you better not do this anymore. And all of a sudden, I got this list of rules and don'ts when before it was just easy. Go in peace. And let the Holy Spirit direct you as to what needs to be changed. Holy Spirit's pretty capable of that. Now, let me say this. If you already know what God's heart and intent is, and you choose to disobey, don't expect God to give you favor for your disobedience. He will not bless you so you can disobey Him more. Do you understand? So let me wrap this up. I got to be done. Caleb, come up here. Through whom did the grace of God get to Naaman? Through whom, to the grace of God, was it imparted upon Naaman and he was cleansed? Elisha. One of the very men of the people that Naaman had beat, had taken captive, had brutalized and enslaved. It was from a man from the very people who had been wronged, who had been brutalized, who had been enslaved, that was the channel of grace given to this man. Just like it started with the little slave girl. So at some point, we have to ask ourselves, what about those of us who at the hands of other people in one way or another have been brutalized, have been hurt, who have been enslaved, and then are asked to be vehicles of grace to our own captors. Can you be that kind of Jesus follower? Do you see how scandalous grace is? That the very ones who had been brutalized, the very ones who had been harmed, were then asked to be the vehicles and the channels of grace to the one who had done it wrong. But listen, isn't that exactly what Jesus has done? Those of us who were responsible for his crucifixion then come to him and ask him for favor. Let me ask you this, man. Those of you who say you want to be like Jesus, do you really want to be like Jesus? Because grace is the flip side of religion. To be brutalized and harmed and hurt and then to have to turn around and be the vehicle through which you give grace to the one who hurt you. It's exactly what we've asked Jesus to do for us gonna be like Jesus you know the crazy part about this whole story we learn later in Luke 4 there were many in Israel with leprosy at the time of Elisha the prophet yet none of them people got healed only who okay wait God had a bunch of his own people people who were living according to the law according to the rules There were plenty of God's people who needed to be healed. Why Naaman? Why Naaman? Because he was an example of the will and the desire of God to save and bless people who don't merit it. Guess who you and I are? We're Naaman's. Later, we learn in the Bible that the Arameans would later then go and fight again against God's people. And Naaman was still a part of the military force against Israel. So God healed him and then he went and turned on God's people again. Why would God save and heal and restore one who was going to be a problem for God's people? This is how crazy grace is. And God's gifts are irrevocable, and his grace is scandalous. See, name and story is a story of grace given to one who seems so far outside, so far outside, deserving to be blessed by God. So why is God so good to him? I'm going to tell you why God's so good to him. It's the reason why God's so good to you, if you'd let him. Because grace makes God look good. There's no other way to say it. Grace makes God look good. And God gives grace to the humble. So this morning, humble yourselves before the Lord. Do you understand? The first step in humility is asking God for forgiveness and asking Jesus to lead your life because you're incapable of leading it yourself. It's a sign of humility to admit that. The second step of humility is to ask God to respond in advance of your behavior according to the full measure of his grace and just let him show off. Do you understand? So, my fellow Naaman, Pray with me. In humility in this moment, between you and God, humble yourselves before him. Say something like this. Father, I admit I'm a sinner. I've lived outside of your rules and commands. You call that sin... I agree with you. I'm sorry. Forgive me of my sin. I invite you to lead my life because I am incapable of leading my own life in a way that honors you. This morning, I accept you as the leader of my life. Then say this, Father, I humble myself before your hand. Respond to me according to your measure of grace, not according to my behavior. I know I cannot be good enough for you to bless. So bless me in spite of myself father thank you for this day thank you for this word this word is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. The mysteries of Christ are inexplicable. They're unexplainable. Would you give us grace to understand how magnificent, how marvelous, how scandalous is your grace? May we never try to earn your favor anymore. May we draw a line in the sand and say, God, if anything good comes my way, it is simply at your hand because of your grace father father show off to the world about how good and how gracious you could be over a messed up name and life like mine and for that God I will give you thanks. father take us now as a church simply to be trophies of your scandalous grace heal our diseases move your hand in favor of our lives, that means we may simply show the magnificence of your grace to a world that's trying to earn your favor. We love you, Jesus. In your name I pray, amen. Let's sing. Amen. Hey, will you guys stand?